I'm Al Filreis, and this is Punk Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive, writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Today, I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writers House in our Wexler studio by Yolanda Wisher, a poet and educator born here in Philadelphia whose books include Monk Eats an Afro, Hanging Loose Press, 2014, and who has co-edited Peace is a Haiku Song, sponsored by the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program, for which vital project she served from 2010 to 2015 as Director of Art Education, who has received many grants and has been a Kaveh Kahnem Fellow, and I'm totally thrilled to say has recently been appointed as the new Poet Laureate of the City of Philadelphia. And by Charles Bernstein, poet, theorist, essayist, scholar, extraordinary interviewer, whose latest of his many, many books is The Pitch of Poetry, published by the University of Chicago Press, active and generous supporter of young and emergent poets, beloved teacher here at the University of Pennsylvania, and before that at the State University of New York at Buffalo, where he co-created EPC, the Electronic Poetry Center, and helped lead the Poetics Program, which recently celebrated its 25th year, and who is with me, I'm happy to say, co-founder and co-director of Penn Sound. And by Patricia Spears-Jones, whose books of poems include Painkiller, Femme du Monde, The Weather That Kills, and whose new book, Lucent Fire, New and Selected Poems, is out from White Pine Press, a longtime resident of New York and teacher there. She's very widely anthologized in, among many books, starting today, 100 Poems for Obama's First 100 Days, and Angles of Ascent, a Norton anthology of contemporary African-American poetry, crucially involved in many poetry and arts communities and organizations, recipient of grants and honors, and whose distinguished appointments include senior fellow at the Black Earth Institute. Congratulations, Patricia, on new and selected poems. That's very exciting. Thank you. Is it out now or soon? It was out in October of oh, last fantastic. year. <laughs> That's great. And Yolanda, everyone in Philly is... Everyone I know is <laughs> thrilled that you're the new Poet Laureate. I'm pretty thrilled and very busy and uh, just trying to get to all of Philadelphia. That's not easy. No. Can you tell us, I know you're involved in two or three projects that are going to have your stamp on them. Can you name one of those? Uh, yeah, I'm working with the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture, a culture which is a fake federal agency. Um, <laughs> entirely fake, yes. Entirely your fake. Your invention. And I am actually, I'm my invention with some other great collaborators across the country. Um, it's a combination of a national platform with local grassroots organizing. And my title is Rhapsodist of Wherewithal. So <laughs> I'm pretty excited to be doing That's that. That's great. Well, thanks for joining us. And Charles, always good to see you. Good to be here. Well, today we four are here to talk about a poem by Akila Oliver. It appeared in Oliver's book, The She Said Dialogues, Flesh Memory, is the subtitle, published in 1999. And the the poem, a prose poem, is called Is You Is or Is You Ain't, and it appears on page 43 of the book. Our recording of her performing this poem comes from her Segway series reading at the Bowery Poetry Club in New York on January 6th. 2007, so here now is the late Akila Oliver performing Is You Is or Is You Ain't. This came out in 1999. <laughs> is You Is or Is You Ain't. 
issue is or issue ain't. St. Louis saying, nobody's home in my body. Morning come hurriedly here. Zoom past the vehicles. Minstrel blood turns some boys on. Groom the poodle. Guess I forgot to turn the denial faucets off last night. Wicked highway beating time over. Emptied of pleasure. Crashed flowers. Miniature men painted in combat green. Line them up to watch them die. Order is what I like. All the fouls labeled. The desire for one more round. Roared down street like the other tourists. Say prayers, then go home. Somalians in bloated stomach costumes wrecking my Pan-African day. Happy is the password. Stretch out on the underside of a void. Clean. Dream. Thank God somebody's keeping time. All the girls started on their way, little ones and big ones in white and pink knee socks, preen in the mirror and silence my lips, pop, fly away home. Ed Sullivan introduces Diana Ross and the Supremes, done to the tune of Deceit. How can you love me like that? Put those flaws on the table. She said, baby girl, you got it. She said, gin, shoeboxes full of dope. By the way, off went the big dick. Exploding for small change. Give me this daily bread I want to eat. So I lied again. It's only between me and you, right? I wonder if we could start with the, each one of you just saying, making one observation about the structure of these sentences, these paratactic sentences. They, um, they're short. They have no capitalization at the beginning. Um, some of them connect to the next sentence, but some of them don't. I think it would be a great way to start. Charles, do you want to start? Uh, any observation at all about how these sentences work? It's flow of perception, to use a term that Linhagenian takes from the famous uh, stream of consciousness or stream of perception. So one perception melts into the next with a strong rhythmic connection between them so that it seems as if it's almost things going through her head. But the more you read it, you see the social commentary that pushes back against the seemingly uh, dreamlike or meditative quality. Thank you. Yolanda, a th thought on this? Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. And I would add uh, body scan, pile, kind of a pile up. Um, the structure of it reminded me a little bit of that, that song Nina Simone sings. I got my eyes, got my legs, got my hair, got my lips got my eyes. You know, it's a, a kind of litany of body parts. Um, but yeah, I got the sense of the piling up um, and that the, the juxtaposition between these one word lines like over or pop or gin or write, which almost kind of have almost an imperative feel. Fantastic. Patricia, your thoughts on the sentences, how it's structured? They don't sort of seem like sentences so much as they seem like uh, phrases. And uh, and they seem groom the poodle, um, clean dream. These are all very they're like very specific phrases, and they uh, make me think uh, a lot about music and about the phrasing and music. Um, and which I know that Akila was very much interested in listening to her read it, but about the third or fourth time, you can sort of hear that sort of phrasing going on. So, Let's go back to Yolanda's uh, mentioning of um, pieces of body, a body, I don't think you said body parts, did you, but a kind of accumulation of body references. Um, 
the uh, subtitle of the book is Flesh Memory, and Akilah defined that, uh, and I quote in part, that which my body recalls. Mm -hmm. Everything has to do with the task of remembrance and its narrative reinvention. I was always translating an idea of the world as it presented itself at any given time. To write was a choice about how to be seen, how to enter the world as a translator, actor, participant in the dialogues that apparently made the real real. That's her definition of flesh memory. Anybody want to add to that as expressed in this poem, that way? I mean, we've sort of already said it, but anybody yeah, want I to think, add to that? Yeah, I think it's very clear. I mean, I think the one of, you know, it starts, nobody's home in my body. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and it ends with, uh, it's only between me and you, right? So that there is this kind of um, internalized dialogue that's going on. Uh, it's very female, um, and I mean, very, very female, and it is uh, so. So, gender is is a, a major issue here, um, and I, and it's interesting. Called this is called the she said diary, and going back to what Yolanda said about the the those sounds like pop, and clean dream, and there's these there are these long and these short vowels. There's this, they're, and they're very tough. They're tough sounds. And I think that she is sort of talking about the way in which the body moves in space. There is some real sense of this woman's body going from literally sort of adolescence to womanhood uh, throughout this poem uh, and some of the and the ways in which this body is encountered. The, I, I love all of that and that this 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 phrase "happy is the password" makes mm -hmm. me think about. Um, Can you some, paraphrase that somehow? It's the, hard. The body is a computer that can be unlocked with happiness. Yeah, she defined flesh memory in another context in an interview with Rachel Levitsky as um, genetic memory. Yes. But she seems to have meant genetic memory as having cultural imprintings mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that Ed Sullivan introduces present tense Diana Ross right. and the Supremes right. done to the tune of deceit. Uh, that's not genetic memory, but it is flesh memory in the sense that she means. I'm, it's still present. I'm still watching this. And Diana Ross is still telling me something about being a black woman on stage and what it's all going to mean and, and all that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it's all mixed in there. It's all part of, it's all part of the body. It's all collected and gathered in here. Um, and there's the sense that there... You know, if, if happiness is a password that unlocks the body, there's this, there's some, um, and there's some kind of enclosure and kind of imprisonment, or um, you know, that, that nobody's home in my body makes the body this structure, this house, right? Um, and it's got all this infrastructure and plumbing that she refers to. Um, it's a really complex place that, in some ways, can't really be decoded simply. But then she also. Talks about pleasure mm. throughout, mm -hmm. and what this body can and cannot do, and that's why I'm thinking about the encounters. Uh, groom the poodle, you know, um, which you know definitely sounds like masturbation to me. Um, miniature men painted in combat green. So this, this is sort of the sense of the GI Joes down the street. Line uh, them up, line them up, line, and watch them die. die. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and but then um, then there's this moment where she sort of. That's like one kind of way in which she said, but then she says Somalians in bloated stomach costumes. Mm -hmm. And the sense that all of a sudden 
the body can become something like you were talking about the unlocking of happiness. It also can be the unlocking of horror and outrage. And and uh, but then what she follows that with is wrecking my Pan African day, like because she goes for like deep irony here. Like, she's calling well, herself out, maybe a little bit. No, I think she's going for deep irony. And there's the sense that you know African. This pristine idea of African cultural memory mm-hmm. is in some way tainted by the present day right. Somalians with the bloated stomachs. Um, it kind of invades that perfect right. Africa. So that news abrupts itself onto the flesh memory, uh, which which is making her feel pan, a Pan-African mm-hmm. day. I take Pan-African day followed by the word happy to suggest I'm feeling like I'm writing out of a kind of pan-African spirit, but the news is making that complicated. Charles, you heard Akila Oliver perform. Uh, Patricia mentioned pleasure. There's some pleasure. It's not overall a, a, a happy, fun poem, but there's some remarkably clever lines here. Do you take her to have a, um, a comic turn at all? Or And if so, is there anything in here that... Yeah, I don't know if I would call it comic. I think the the deep irony that Patricia mentions is, is more like it, but it's not a funny irony. Uh, the Somalians in bloated stomach uh, costumes, it's the costumes which is right. very dark about yeah, it because, yeah. of course, you're talking about uh, people who have or have empty stomachs. That, right. And then she's looking at that almost uh, as if it's a carnival or a masquerade. That's much darker than if she just said... Uh, that people are starving in Africa. Mm-hmm. That's r- really dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, it fits into the whole masquerade that the poem is about. So the poem is about a masquerade. I mean, you know, bloated rhymes with empty too. Emptied right. of pleasure, bloated stomach, uh, bloated right. and empty. And then the, the word that she uses the most, uh, which is very striking to me, is home. Nobody's home. Then go home. Fly away home. There is this fundamental sense of homelessness in the poem, nobody's home, but also the invocation of, of home. And on the other hand, there's this uh, deceit as the costumes. So there's denial, there's, uh, there's, there's emptied, there's deceit, there's flaw, uh, there's lied. So you have that strata, the home strata and the deceit. Strata, and at the same time, it's all woven together within a fabric of uh, perception. And when you get guess, I forgot to turn the denial faucets off last night. There is a a domestic scene, something of a comic domestic scene. That's what I meant. You know, in other words, uh, that's the kind of thing you would say. If it, and yet, there's this sense of homelessness, or as Yolanda is suggesting, the home is the body, and the body is the poem. Turning the denial faucets off, if the home is the poem, that's a very interesting. And also, but nobody's home statements. in my body, which is hard to exactly make out uh, yeah. because that's emptiness, right? Yeah, and then she yeah. has that bloated stomach as emptiness too, yeah. and away from home. Mm-hmm. So those things are always double. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patricia suggested a few minutes ago that there's um, a, a woman that's dealing with relationships, or that there's uh, there's some kind of sexuality happening here. Um, the title is you is or is you ain't. She refers to as um, a, a phrase of St. Louis, which is where she's from originally. But as any of us who did a little research found out, it's Louis Jordan's Jump Blues classic of 1944, which is about a man and a woman. Does anybody want to say how that might be relevant, either that song or uh, the tradition of that song, Yolanda? 
Well, I think it goes back to the the costumes um, that Charles mentioned. Um, there's, you know, going back further into the, the research about that song, there's the guy activist Roy Cohen, who that phrase apparently came oh, from. 1921, right? a uh, humorous dialect fiction writer, a Jewish writer, <laughs> doing, right, so, doing black dialect. Right, so there's this element of caricature and uh, minstrelsy uh, that comes up, and I was, of course, looking at it through the romantic lens, and then I started to think about the is you is or is you ain't as almost in a, a statement, um, a question of, like, do you exist or not? Mm-hmm. Um, are you alive? And, you know, ultimately, who are you? And that led me less to the re- a, re- a relationship between the man and the woman, you know, kind of posed by that song, and more about the relationship between the body and the self. Oh, um, that's really great. The song yeah. is... A question that a man, the lyricist, though it's been reversed by um, women who've performed the song. Right, yeah. But it, originally it's the man saying, are we together or aren't we? Do we? Okay, so that's why my baby is par- parenthetically at the end, which is an addressee. Akeel Oliver seems to be doing exactly what you said. She's taking that phrase, which is about men and women in jump blues, and she's turning it into something existential. Fly Away Home. Ed Sullivan introduces Diana Ross and the Supremes done to the tune of deceit. How can you love me like that? Put those flaws on the table. She said, baby girl, you got it. She said, gin, shoeboxes full of dope. By the way, off went the big dick, exploding for small change. Give me this daily bread I want to eat. So I lied again. It's only between me and you, right? I look at this through the the lens of of gender a lot. And uh, so we're talking about costuming. We're talking about white and pink knee socks. We're talking about looking in the mirror. We're talking about the whole idea of how do you create the female persona? What does she look like? How does she come? And then how does she deal with the big dick exploding for small change? <laughs> so there is, um, there, so I didn't think of this as a, a relationship so much as it is about that whole thing about what, is, what happens to you once you hit, uh, once menstrual blood shows up. <laughs> uh, menstrual blood turns some boys on. And uh, that's the second line of this poem. And and so that that by the time you get to baby girl, uh, you got it. You have some sense that the the persona in this poem is kind of figured out who she is in relationship to all of this, and she doesn't particularly like it. Small change is a great phrase. There, can we spend a second on that? Off went the big dick exploding for small change. So on one hand, small change means just a, yeah. not much, yeah. but it also means change as in change of values, change of behavior, and it being small. Maybe I just answered my own question, but Lewis, mm. Lewis Jordan's, uh, the, the second bridge in the, in the song goes like this. A woman is a creature that has always been strange. Just when you're sure of one, you find she's gone and made a change and took my change. So he's got exactly the same pun mm-hmm. in there. Is you is or is you ain't my baby? I wonder if she knows the, the source of that. We all know because we looked it up, but I wouldn't have. I knew that song. I wouldn't have realized what that it What would it mean when she was dialect. growing up in St. Louis on the street or in the house? What would that have meant? Well, is you is or is you ain't my baby in the song means 
you know, are, are, are you with me or not? But in this, it becomes existential. And yeah. it could also be the and body also, itself. Is yeah, the body and also, mine or, I, or not? Yeah, and also not, I don't assume that, you know, that she says this is a St. Louis phrase. I'm not, you know, you can say that it's about Louis Jordan. I didn't know that. And I didn't look it up. So there you go. Um but I also think that sometimes there's a presumption about cultural memory uh, that is uh, not necessarily correct. Um, there are things that, there are ways in which people talk about things in Memphis that they don't say in St. Louis. There are ways in which people talk about stuff in St. Louis that they don't say in Detroit. So uh, same kind of people different phrases. Well, it may not be about the song. The phrase, I, I know yeah. the song, so if yeah. you know the song, then yeah. you're going to immediately recognize it. We yeah. don't know what Akilah Oliver knew no. about it or yeah. not, but right. actually I think it probably means something different here anyway. Mm. You know, are mm. you real or, or are you not? Am I real or am I not? Well, that goes almost back to something that isn't here, but that, you know, that famous Burt Williams song, you know, I'm Nobody. Mm. I mean, that, that nobody is a very powerful uh, word in African American right, literature. Right. So, and I, that she starts with nobody's home is very interesting to me. Several critics, uh, and there have been some very good articles on Keila Oliver, and I, re I recommend just looking for them. There's some great stuff. Several critics um, describe her particular use of parataxis as undermining the usual division between experimental writing on one side, which would, of course, use parataxis more readily as a tool, and expressivist poetics, so-called, on the other side, saying that Akilah Oliver uses parataxis in a way that just messes up that distinction uh, that obviously can be pressed too far. Um, does this make sense to you uh, as a response to what she's doing with the, this kind of, these kinds of phrases and sentences that don't in conventional narrative connect? Does this make sense as a criticism, as a response? I, th I think so. I think based on a lot of what Patricia was saying about if I, I didn't look at the poem before as a journey, like an evolution of womanhood, which I think, you know, starting is like, you know, when you're young, nobody's home, that sense of feeling not at home in your body or nobody's home mm -hmm. to the end where she's like, right? And in the recording, she's kind of like not How really she sure. I, no, no, no. She says that she's like right, or mm -hmm. yeah. She's there's almost, a, there's it's a almost, it's almost a question. It's almost a question. Or like yeah, like for real. Um, and so thinking about that, there is that sense of accumulating wisdom, right? And there's that sense that you know something is evolving or growing or changing. Because when you get to the, she said, "Baby girl, you got it." Mm -hmm. You know, there's this sense of self possession that becomes more and more present. But then it's undermined by Jen's shoeboxes full of dope. Sure is. By, yes. by the way of. So yes. that so that that, you know, you can get to this point where you know who you are, but then there are all these things outside of you that can um, screw that all up. Yeah. I think the fact that it departs from a you know conventional prose uh, structure and there's not a logical connection puts it within an example many it puts it in a continuum with many other works of associative mm -hmm. uh, prose is a little bit you know as we're saying has a lot of pushback against the association so the associations become self-conscious and she doesn't just go go with them but I think that it's uh, fits within the general alternative formal structures. Uh, that all of Oliver's work does. Mm, so true. a paratactic approach 
typically will allow us to see many subjectivities speaking or many kinds of vocabulary speaking so that it's not obviously a single subjectivity. Um, but, but there's a felt relation. And she thought of herself as, as doing this in order to create what she called a pluralizing gesture. Hmm. Right. Okay. So yeah. that means that there's expressivity here, but it's an expressivity of the flesh memory, mm-hmm. right, which is a, a set of selves that move through time and not just a single self. So that critic was simply, or there were several of them, was simply saying that you can't say, oh, well, she's an experimentalist, and so she's not going to have any kind of subjectivity is not an issue right, but for that's her. a and travesty hand, of what experimental is, that comment yeah. itself. And yeah. I think yeah. what Thank you have you. Is, a, is, a, is a very felt connection between the sentences, That's, but, but yeah. it's not just body uh, sense, although there are interesting examples of, of that. You could look at Bernadette Mayer, for example, in her 70s work, which has some relationship, but Bernadette Mayer doesn't have the sort of ideological intrusion that this poem has. So I think as we're saying with the Somalians and some of the other things, it's very specifically trips out a sense that the poem is moving just on sense memory or body memory because she pushes you to see that itself as a kind of masquerade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. May I ask each of you, if you were encountering a, a reader of poetry who had not read Akilah Oliver, what, judging from this prose poem or others, what would you say to recommend Akilah Oliver to readers of poetry, people who hadn't encountered her before? Well, one thing I would say is that they should start with a toast in the House of Friends, from 2009, Coffee House of Books. That's an extraordinary uh, work, and it's partly an elegy for her son, Aluchi McDonald, who uh, lived from 1982 to 2003 and died in a very um, uh, disturbing situation in Los Angeles in a hospital. So, uh, and her way of extending the elegy in that poem is one of the most realized things that I know, I'd also note she was born in 1961 and died in uh, 2011. It was very shocking for those of us who knew her. I was just getting to know her, uh, but she died, you know, very young and that there are a lot of unpublished works that I'm hoping that some of the people working with her family will manage to uh, bring out. But that would be the most available book and uh, I think it's a very powerful book and it extends actually our discussion here, but she's dealing with a somewhat different frame. Yeah, and I, and I think there are a lot of other ones, but that's a really good way to start with her work. And I also think too that that if if you're new to her work, you are also new to a, a way in which someone uses some of the tropes of African American literature in a way that is surprising, is not predictable, and allows for uh, a variety of interpretations. For her, cultural memory is very rich and layered. I would probably introduce her as a a poet of the body um, and thinking about the ways in which her poems um, have embedded in them culture and history um, and, and personal memory. I think that would be a, a, a good gateway for a lot of folks. Before she wrote her poems, and I don't know a great deal about this, but um, I've read about it. She did, to sort of fits in with what you're saying, performance and dance work. Mm-hmm. So right. she had yeah. a mm-hmm. whole body of performance work, yeah. uh, pun intended, I guess, uh, that she, I think also did in Los Angeles. So she was 
coming out of that yeah. and uh, into the poetry so you can see aspects of, of that and what well, we're I talking about Well, I think that's one here. of the reasons why the, you know, she uses a lot of those wonderful long and short vowels because they become ways in which when she can do the phrasing, that makes it really um, uh, textured in, in her voice. So her voice does what maybe she had done as dance in some ways. Well, we could talk about this wonderful poem and Akilah Oliver's uh, work for a long time, but let's wrap up by uh, each of us saying one more thing, either about the poem or about her poetry, something we didn't get to say and you'd want to put in the record for a conversation about this work. I think that um, in reading a poem like this and doing a kind of close reading, we could go through each line and think about, you know, what what it means and... Mm -hmm. It, it begs the the point that the poem itself is not really geared toward being read in that way. It gives you an impression and a, and a feeling and a kaleidoscope of different sense impressions and and uh, and a mood and a, a, a feeling. So it's a hard poem to talk about in a conventional way because to some degree it defies uh, convention. Mm -hmm. It does have to me these very explicit ideological things, the menstrual blood and the Somalians, the Somalians mm -hmm you know, sort of pull out of that, but it's hard to know exactly what's going on because it's a it's a woven tapestry mm -hmm. with different levels. And I think it one thing I'd emphasize is how the levels of discourse, to use a perhaps overly um, technical expression, are, are very different, but they seem like they're at the same level. So if it's work of the body, as you're saying, it's a body that's really been made through these different kinds of discourse levels, some of which are imposed upon that body mm -hmm. um, and some of which come from the flow of life uh, that the body lives. Still, the overall impression is this movement within life and consciousness, but it's sure interrupted, but it doesn't stop her. No. She doesn't get interrupted. That's true. I'm grateful for this poem. Um, I didn't know a lot about her work before digging into it, and um, there's a lot of overlap between... Um, the way we approach performance and um, and poetry, and I'm, I was really drawn to Oliver's notion and what Charles speaks to in a piece that he wrote about her about this idea of holding space. And I do a, I, I think a lot about that work in terms of community engagement mm -hmm. um, as a facilitator and as a poet. And so I'm grateful to see a poetics of holding space on the page as well. Um, and that act of poetry is is holding space that you mentioned. I agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to make a couple of um, final points. First of all, I noticed that amidst the nobody's home in my body and the kind of internal uh, associative work that's being done here, we have unexplained things happening outside. We have Zoom past the vehicles. We have a wicked highway beating time, both fabulous phrases. Zoom past the vehicles is a little odd because it's not the vehicles doing the zooming past, but somehow the vehicles are being passed zoomingly by. And then we have roar down streets. This poem just keeps on giving, and it's inside and it's outside all at the same time. And then the second thing I want to observe is order is what I like all the files labeled. That strikes me, given the fabulousness of the chaos of the associations and the memory and the struggle with, you know, it's only between you and me, right? Uh, the struggle. We get this person who's admitting, I, I kind of like to keep things in order, which is just, I just find smart and 
clever and interesting and so interesting that it follows the miniature men painted in combat green. Line them up suggests a kind of order. So maybe that kind of order is a, is a warlike thing and a, and a destructive and homicidal thing. But it's so a maybe. mocking of male culture. Miniature men painted in combat green are, are, are soldiers, like little, make sure them like toy soldiers. Right. Watch them die, just like the menstrual blood. So you could so say order that is what I like, yeah. and all the files labor it is in quotes. It is an iron, ironized compulsion to order. A, and a rage and for Patricia order. Uh, said earlier that it was from a woman's point of view, but uh, it actually is very strongly anti masculinist in a number of points. Well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for several of us to spread wide our narrow hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world. So who would like to gather a little paradise first? I'm going to recommend a Germantown favorite, <laughs> uh, Sue Landers, uh, who was born in Germantown, I believe, um, but has since moved to New York, has written a great book called Franklin Stein, which is a great um, collection of prose poems that are based on her own memories um, and kind of return to the neighborhood and interviews with folks around the the neighborhood. So um, it's a beautiful book, and it's just came out, and it's getting a lot of uh, excitement and buzz around it. So I recommend Fantastic. it. Fantastic. And for Pump Talk listeners who don't know the Philadelphia landscape, Germantown is, of course, a semi-independent neighborhood. <laughs> and I think you're originally from Germantown? I was born there. I grew up outside of Germantown, but returned as a young adult and have been there ever since. Fantastic. Charles gathers some paradise. Well, I'm thinking of the world uh, of Aquila Oliver and her wonderful um, presence in, in New York. And uh, in that context, I think of Tanya Foster, who has a book out. And I guess they're roughly contemporary in every sense. But uh, Tanya's book published by the Belladonna Collective, very much in the world of Akila Oliver, is called Swarm of the Bees in High Court. And it's a wonderful book. It is a great book. Thank you. Patricia, what are you recommending these days in oh, the poetry gosh. world? Okay. Um, Tiamba Jess has a new book out called Olio, which I think is absolutely brilliant uh, and also beautifully uh, done uh, as a physical object. And, uh, and it uh, explores um, the voice of African-Americans whose voices were not recorded. Uh, in the 19th century. Uh, so I would highly recommend that. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to, uh, I have a tr triple, quick triple recommendation. Uh, we, we've already said that Yolanda Wisher is the poet laureate of the city of Philadelphia. And I would simply recommend that you do a little Googling and you find out what Yolanda is doing. And if you are in Philadelphia or near Philadelphia or want to come to Philadelphia to be part of this, these projects, please just get in touch with Yolanda. I'm sure it's not that hard to get in touch with you. And you can go to the office of the, of the mayor of the city of Philadelphia, or you can just Google Yolanda Wisher, and it is, once again, just so fantastic that you're in that position, and I'm proud of my city that we have such a thing, and that we make good choices. And uh, the paradise sitting to my left, uh, uh, Charles Bernstein, uh, who's paradisal all the time, has pitch of poetry uh, just out, and it is a wonderful thing, and one-third of the essays in that book are collaborative, which really mm -hmm. speaks to the spirit of this generous person, this poet who cares about uh, emergent poets. 
And Patricia Spears-Jones, by the time you're listening to this uh, uh, poem talk, will have had a reading recorded at the Kelly Writers House in April of 2016. And that will be uh, uploaded to her Penn Sound page. And I highly recommend that you listen to that in conjunction with this discussion because there might be some kind of good uh, harmony between what we've talked about today and what you will hear in that recording. Well, that's all the uh, miniature men painted in combat green we have time for on Poem Talk today. <laughs> Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing, CPCW, and the Kelly Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Yolanda Wisher, Charles Bernstein, and Patricia Spears-Jones, and to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner and to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing Zach Cardner. Next time on Poem Talk, to help mark the 20th year of the Kelly Writers House, three Writers House founders, Josh Schuster, Carrie Sharon Wright, and Kristen Gallagher, will be here to help me talk about Morning Constitutional, the Philadelphia-based work by another Writers House founder, Michael McGee. This is Al Filreis, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk.